the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day uh, that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord, the Lord with all humility of mine, and with many tears, temptations, which befell me by the lying, lying in wait of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesses in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that, I am, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received with the Lord to testify the gospel, the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone uh, uh, preaching the kingdom of God, uh, shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed, unto, uh, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. And so unity within the church, our text verse we're going to start is verse 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers uh, to feed the church of God, which he had purchased with his own blood. And so understanding the church, uh, unity, the Apostle Paul, we know, has called the elders of the church together. And so the elders of the church were not just mature men, but they were men uh, called of the Holy Spirit to take a position of oversight or leadership, if you will, uh, to provide our, uh, the ability to be able to direct people to find Christ and to live for Christ. And we could call them shepherds, we could call them bishops, we can call them overseers, we can call them elders, we can call them pastors. They're all terms that are synonymous one with another, just simply describing the role that they would fulfill. So he calls the elders of the church together and he describes the demeanor of, of real leadership. In uh, verse 18, notice he deals with leadership in reference to consistency. Consistency in verse 18, it says, and, that when, and when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all times. Consistency. And, you know, James would say a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. If there's one thing that needs to be really acknowledged in this matter of leadership within the church to create an environment of unity is there has to be consistencies. In other words, we can't be bouncing around with every wind of doctrine. Uh, we can't just uh, go, uh, being drawn down one path to another, going down uh, every uh, new thing uh, that comes out uh, and just need to be consistent. Uh, you know, continue to walk with the Lord, continue to pray, continue to believe God. Uh, and uh, if the church 
is so directed by God to fulfill his will according to the scriptures uh, now than certainly 20 years from now. God certainly wants to see us, the church, functioning and operating that way. And so if we're going to be able to impact other people's lives in this matter of unity within the church, there has to be consistency. They have to know, people have to know who you are, what you believe, why you believe it, and that you believe it to the point where you're not willing to compromise and change. And I remember years ago, there was a book that was written by Lee Robinson. It was called Double-Breasted. He always wore a double-breasted sports coat. Now, I don't think it's spiritual to wear a double-breasted sports coat or a suit. He always wore a suit. Uh, but he wrote a book entitled Double-Breasted, and it was about that very topic. What he was when he started in ministry was what he was when he ended his ministry, when he went home to be with the Lord. And he didn't get caught up with every newfangled thing that came down the pike. And so Christians need to be consistent. If you want to have good leadership, you need to be consistent in who you are and how you live your life for Christ. And so Paul reminds them as he calls the elders of the church, and he's going to challenge them. We're going to look at a few different things here when it comes to this matter of, of uh, unity within the church. Uh, he said, you know who I've been. I've been the same. Uh, and I, I've been consistent in my devotion to Christ and my communication of the word of God to you. So leadership de depends upon consistency. But then he also dealt with, verse 19, humility. Uh, you can't walk around prideful. God hates pride. And uh, uh, these six things of the Lord hate. And he says, a proud look in, in Proverbs chapter 6. And so he says, serving the Lord with all humility of mine and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. And so Paul was not going to be boastful. He wasn't going to be arrogant. Uh, certainly he was a powerful man. He was a bold man for Christ, but he knew how to have a spirit of humility. What he would accomplish or what he would be or what he would become was in reference to who Christ was in his life. Uh, for me to live is Christ, Paul would say. And so he knew what it was to be humble. And uh, he's wanting these elders of the church to create an environment of unity within the body of Christ by just being humble. I think it was Ronald Reagan said, it'd be amazing to see how much could be get done if it didn't matter who got the credit. And everybody's always worrying about uh, getting recognition and getting the credit for something. Well, I think as a Christian, we all just be humble and don't worry about who's getting the credit and just live our life for the glory of God and let God get the glory. Let him get the credit. Amen. And so there needs to be consistency. There needs to be humility. And then in verse 20, he deals with continuity. He says, how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and taught you publicly and from house to house, continuity. In other words, what, what you teach in the church needs to be taught in the house. And what you are in church is what you need to be in your house, continuity. Everything that we learn as a Christian, as we live our Christian life, isn't just for our church life in the church building. It is to become who we are. Remember years ago, friends of mine I went to Bible college with, he actually started a church in Ohio, and, 
and uh, well, we went out there to see them and spent some time with them. And uh, this was later on. I'd started a church here. He had started in Ohio. Uh, we went out to be with them, and we were talking about some things. And I'll never forget. His wife said, she looked at me, and she said, come on, Michael. Church, church members aren't around right now. You can let your hair down. That's what she said. I didn't have much hair to begin with, but anyway. She said, you can let your hair down. And I looked at her, and I said, whoa. What I am in my church in front of my church people is what I am in my home and when I go to people's houses. And we, we, don't, we don't become hypocrites. We don't put on a facade because all of a sudden we're around Christians, but we act differently when we're around the unsaved. And Paul says, I want you to know, I didn't hold anything back that was profitable for you. And I want you to know that whether we were publicly speaking and or interacting with one another or we were privately meeting with one another, there was a sense of continuity that everything that we are as a Christian was important to be fulfilled and experienced. And so uh, understanding how unity develops is like that. We would not have fractions in the body of Christ if Christians believe they ought to live like a Christian 24-7. Where the friction comes in and the division comes in is so-and-so doesn't think you need to live like you act when you're in church. And then all of a sudden, fellowships and relationships break down outside the church, and then we start labeling and tagging one another because we're all divided amongst each other. And the problem is we lost the reality of continuity of who we are. And so if there's going to be leadership, and I'm focusing on leadership because Paul is talking to the elders of the church, and describing to them uh, his consistency and humility and continuity in the ministry. And then, verse 21, there needs to be veracity. It says, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, whether it was Jew or whether it was Greek, the message was the same. Whether it was Jew or whether it was Greek, the Greeks he was talking to, uh, he was truthful. He was honest. He didn't hedge what he believed and who he was presenting because the crowd changed. And I watch, I've watched this over the years. I'll tell you, you get some preacher and he's preaching one particular crowd and he gets riding their hobby horses when he's preaching. And then you go to another conference, and uh, well, there's a different crowd there, so all of a sudden now he's riding their hobby horses just to appeal to the crowd. And uh, I don't know, I've just never been one to do that. I am who I am, and I believe what I believe, and I don't care who I'm talking to, I'm going to present the truth, and I'm going to be honest about what the Word of God has to say. You cannot provide leadership. You cannot create unity within the body if we're always trying to present something else. Then in verse 22 through 27, we're not going to read all those verses, but he de details the struggles that he encountered. And yes, if you take a stand for Christ, and yes, if you try to be consistent for Christ, yes, you're truthful about Christ. Yes, it's going to create some struggles. It's going to create some opportunities for you to have to uh, decide is it more important to stand for Christ or is it more important for me to maintain 
of friendship with someone who is denying Christ. Uh, Paul came to the conclusion in verse 24, none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Many years ago, uh, the Lord gave me that verse because we were, I was going through a lot of struggles. Uh, I was concerned about uh, how people are going to respond. I was concerned about the struggles and difficulties I was going through in ministry. And I was reading my Bible and I came across this and I just, I had to say, amen, Paul. None of these things move me. In other words, when you hate me, you're not going to move me. When you love me, you're not going to move me. None of these things move me because of the fact I want to finish my course that God has for my life with happiness and joy and to be able to be blessed in the ministry that God has given me. And so we, we are so susceptible to peer pressures that cause us to act differently because of different situations. And we wonder why we don't have unity. No, we don't live our life to satisfy man. We live our life to satisfy the Lord. And so Paul said, none of these things move me. I don't count my life dear on myself. I just want to finish my course with joy. I want to finish the ministry that God has given me. And Paul came to that conclusion. And then he challenges the elders in verse 28 to tell them after laying all this groundwork and testifying of all that God had done in his life, he tells the elders of the church, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock to over the uh, which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. So once again, we're just started at the beginning of the Gospels and we're working through the Bible where the word church is mentioned and what is being dealt with at that very moment uh, when the church is being mentioned. And we see, first of all, that Paul is dealing with unity in the church in reference to the pastoral leadership, the overseer of the church. As supported, this matter of unity is supported by a leading pastor. I was tickled, I was listening to a preacher on the way home on Sunday afternoon and uh, he was preaching. He was preaching on leadership. And I said, well, it's good. I got a message coming up. I'd like to hear that one. And uh, he was preaching on leadership. And he said this. He said, a lot of people think they're leading. He said, well, I'm going to tell you, when you think you're leading and you turn around, you don't see anybody following. He said, all you're doing is taking a walk. <laughs> I cracked up. I was laughing all the way home. I said, I like that. I got to work that into a message somewhere. Amen. But uh, the reality is... Paul was a leader, and he's challenging the bishops. He's challenging the overseers. He's challenging the elders. You need to lead, and you need to lead in a way that creates unity within the body of Christ. So first of all, it's a personal responsibility. When you think of the, the uh, uh, leader in the church, the pastor of the church, the overseer, there is a responsibility that God has given to us in order to be able to create an environment of unity. In Hebrews 13, 17, says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls 
as they that must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for it is that is unprofitable for you. And I've often said when I've preached over the years that, wait a minute, you know, you need to follow the leadership of the pastor. Why? Because it's going to, it'll make it easier for me, amen. When I have to stand before God, you have to give an account for your own self. I got to give an account for myself and the church. It'd be nice to be able to stand before the Lord and be excited about it because the church was united together with this whole concept and reality that there must be unity in reference to who is leading the church. And Paul tells the elders, you need to take heed to yourselves. You need to take a serious look at the body of Christ. You need to take a serious approach that this is a big deal and it's an awesome responsibility for you to lead the people of God. But I, but I, I think sometimes we just take a very lighthearted spirit about that thing. Well, he's the pastor. You know, well, you know, preachers say that stuff. That's all right. You don't need to listen to preachers when they say that stuff. No, I have to take personal responsibility on myself in being willing to take that leadership role. But the church members have to take personal responsibility in acknowledging God has so designed for the church to function that way. And that's how we have unity is when uh, well, there is in the body of Christ a willingness to follow the leadership that God has established. I was just talking uh, to a preacher today, and he was telling me in his church, he had, they've had several new families get saved and all this, that, and the other, and the family wanted to uh, have a, 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 a six, sweet 16 party for their daughter and wanted to know if they could use the church. He said, sure, you know, it's no problem. Well, then the gets back through the grapevine that they were going to have sweet 16 party with dancing and all this. And so he found out about it. He says, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Time out here. Uh, what do you mean? Well, that's what a sweet 16 party is. But it's not what a sweet 16 party is for Christians. And so he said, no, you can't, you can't have dancing at the church. We don't do dancing. And I know you don't understand it because you're young, you're newly saved, but you need to give it some time. You need to grow in the Lord. I'll help you understand how a Christian is supposed to live. And they left the church, met at the pastor, met at the church, and took five families out of the church. Now, what happened? The problem is there's no unity in the body of Christ to acknowledge God has established leadership in the church. And the reality is Christians don't drink and Christians don't dance. We live a life that is holy Unto the Lord, we conduct ourselves in a way that pleases God and God alone. And so, uh, personal responsibility. The only way there could be unity within the church is everyone taking personal responsibility for how they live and how they interact with one another. And it starts at the top where the overseer has to take heed to himself. He has to take the responsibility on. I remember I candidated here 25 years ago. I had somebody in the church here tell me, they said, well, pastor, all I got to say to you is if you come here to be the pastor of this church, you're going to need to be the pastor. <laughs> I looked at him, I started to laugh. I said, well, 
all I can guarantee you is if I come to be the pastor of this church, I will be the pastor. And I don't mean that in a mean sense. I take heed to myself. I take it very seriously. I, I don't walk up to this pulpit and lighthearted or indifferent. I walk up to this pulpit. I understand when I'm standing here preaching, I'm standing in the place of God. I'm communicating what God has told me to communicate. I don't take that lightly because I don't, I don't want to do something that is wrong or unjust. I, I don't want to just be belligerent and unloving and unkind. I, I understand that I have to give an account to God for this. And so supported by a leading pastor, somebody's got to lead. And so God established for the overseers, for the elders, for the pastor to take leadership thereof. But it's also a spiritual responsibility, not just a personal responsibility. It's a spiritual responsibility. Because in 1 Timothy chapter 3, it says, If any man um, desires the office of a bishop, bishop, he desireth a good work. And he says he is to be the husband of one wife. He's supposed to be blameless, first of all. The husband of one wife. And now... Um, we get over there, I want to read it. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife. And then he goes into the following verses, all these qualifications. And so it's a spiritual responsibility because Paul says, take heed to yourselves in reference to what? The Holy Ghost making you overseer. Somebody just doesn't decide they're going to go into the profession of, of being a preacher. The Holy Spirit calls men to be the pastors of the church and to be the overseer of the church. And if the Holy Spirit has called a man to oversee the church and lead it, then he is not only personally responsible, but he is spiritually responsible for his own life, for his own family, and for the church. So I'll tell you, we often wonder why in the world the church is split and why they have problems and why do you do all this, that, and the other. I'm going to tell you, we have forgotten the reality of what our obligation is as individuals, spiritually speaking. This is a spiritual body, and it is a spiritual life, and we have to approach it through spiritual means. So personal responsibility, spiritual responsibility, and then I wrote down eternal responsibility because he says, Take heed to therefore to yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. You and I have been purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, this, this is not just a Sunday thing. It is not just, they say the average person who gets saved, the average person who gets saved will be in the church generally about five years and then they're out of the church. That's alarming, very alarming. The average youth pastor stays at a church 18 months or less. The average pastor stays at a church less than three years. Statistically, a pastor does not start to become effective in being a pastor of church until he has been there at least five years. Most pastors never make it to that point because they leave by three. 
Now, I can tell you this. By personal experience, when, at the five-year mark, when I was here five years, I saw a major difference at that five-year mark in reference to the church as a whole feeling confident in my leadership. It's just amazing. You read these statistics and you, you say, well, that doesn't make it. Yes, it does. We are an eternal body. We're a spiritual body. And if there's going to be unity within this body, we have to live in light of the fact that we have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so our life is more. It's more than just coming to church on Sunday going to work on Monday, taking care of our family obligations all week long, and then come running in the church exhausted on Sunday. No, we're, we are an eternal beings, and we've been bought with the price of Jesus Christ. So supported, the church, unity in the church is supported by a leading pastor. A pastor who just sits back and won't lead does not direct the church to develop a spirit of unity. And so they need that. John Maxwell said this, the goal of the pastor is not to get people to show up, but to get people to grow up. And the reality is when you grow in the Lord, you'll be in church. When people miss church, that's just a, a, a marker. It's just a red flag that they're a baby. They have no spiritual maturity at all. Because if they were growing, I don't know about you, I eat a whole lot more now than I did when I was a baby. <laughs> and I don't, like, I don't like milk and I don't like baby mush that they eat and all this. And the, I want a good big steak, amen? <laughs> but spiritually speaking, as we grow and we mature in Christ, we want to be where we can be, learn the word of God, where we can pray and it go after God, where we can iron sharpening iron and encourage and challenging one another. And it is supported by a leading pastor to bring us to that point of having unity. So supported by a leading pastor. Unity. It's a surrendered to service and ministry. In Romans chapter 16 Again, just going from Acts 20, and the next time we read about the church uh, in a significant way is Romans chapter 16, verse 1. He says, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is in Sincrea. Very interesting. Surrendered to service and ministry. There's the commendation that Paul makes in recognizing or mentioning this woman by the name of Phoebe. And he, the, he uses the word commend. The word commend there means to place together. So he's, he's telling them, hey, look, uh, Phoebe is a minister in the church. She was a servant in the church. She wasn't a pastor in the church. She was a servant in the church. And he said, you need to connect with her. The word commend means to set in the same place. So he didn't say, oh, well, she's a part of the church of St. Korea. Then she'll go over to the church at Corinth. And then she'll go over to the church at Ephesus. No, she was set in a specific place. He commended her to the church. It means to bring or to band together. 
And so when he acknowledges this servant of God, Phoebe, he says, I want you to know you need to be connected with her and you need to be bound together as you do the ministry in the one place, the church at Sincrea. So the commendation. I see the illumination. And the reason why I say illumination, Phoebe means radiant. I mean, she just shined for Christ. She must have had a joyful countenance. She must have been excited about being a Christian. She brought something to the church that created unity because of the fact she was someone who was pleasant to be around. Her life emulated all that Christ was. Boy, I like being around people like that. I like to be around people who are fired up for God, that have a a demeanor about them that they're excited about the things of God. Bring illumination to the church. People need to come in the church and sense the presence of God. They need to come in the church and see us and say, man, if anybody lives their life like Christ, I got to say that person does. And how does that take place? How does that get experienced? Because they were commended. She was commended. She was bound to the church. She was part of the church. And being a part of the church, we think nowadays everybody thinks, well, I don't need to be in the church. I'm going to go out and do my own thing, develop my own ministry. And then we wonder why we can't get people to want to surrender to Christ in the church. No, we need to be a radiant in the body of Christ as we serve one another. Uh, so then there's the association, the church. She said, I commend unto you, I bind you together with Phoebe, who's a radiant young lady uh, who loves the Lord, as which she is a servant that is in the church. She's not serving anywhere else. She's serving in the church. So our associations that we developed, a sense of unity is that we're in the church. I know there's all kinds of different good Christian organizations around, uh, but I really believe with all my heart that it is the church that Christ established for us to build our associations together in surrendering to one another to serve and to minister within the body of Christ. So we see a surrender to service. Number three there, we see there was secured by a common or mutual faith. Secured by a common or mutual faith. In uh, 1 Corinthians, if we keep going to the right, reading through the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17 says, For this cause, is that where I want to go? 1 Corinthians 4, 17, yes. Uh, For this cause I have sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of all my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. So shared uh, or secured together by a mutual faith or a common faith that they had one with another. What does that mean? First of all, letter A is this, just to be a part of the family. I think we've so looked at the church as an organization that we have forgotten that the church is a family. We're a part of the family of God. You know, my wife and I, uh, when we surrendered to go in the ministry, I think one of the hardest things to overcome when we went out to start a church is just loneliness because you're the only Christian there. There's nobody to fellowship with it. And my wife and I, God's never blessed us with children, so we don't have any children. 
Uh, because we're in full-time ministry, we never have been around our family because we've always been out in ministry, out uh, wherever it is that God would call us. So, we just, so I, listen, I'm telling you, my family is the church. My family's the church. I have brothers and sisters. I have siblings. I have nieces and nephews. I have all that stuff. I'm going to tell you, my immediate family is the church. And I am afraid that far too many of us live our life disconnected with the reality that we're family. And Paul deals with that in 1 Timothy 1.12, that Paul, uh, Timothy was his own son in the faith. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 15, he deals with uh, the family of the church. We are part of a family, the family of God. We're adopted into the family of God. He deals with that in Romans chapter 8. And I, I think sometimes we just have this mindset, oh, okay, we're going to get people saved. They're going to believe and they're a part of this organization. And we see them on Sunday. But other than that, I really don't want to be, have any part with them because we don't look at them as family. That's not how we treat our family. But we are part of the family of God. So how are we going to have unity in church if we don't look at the reality of being a family? Then to be faithful, Paul would deal with the faithfulness. He said they were, he, Timothy was faithful unto the Lord. Uh, Moreover, it requires stewards that a man be found faithful. And so just being that committed and that devoted to one another uh, continually. I know growing up, nobody better talk about my sister, I'll tell you that. They were going to have to deal with me. Nobody better go after my younger brothers. They'd have to deal with me. Well, bless God, why is it that we as Christians can't stand up and defend our brothers and sisters in Christ? When somebody talks about them, somebody gossips about them, somebody demeans their character or calls them, why can't we stand up for them? They're family. You're family. I remember when I first came here, I started going out visiting to follow up on people who had left the church when you were without a pastor and all that. And I had some people, I went in their homes, and they started ripping this church apart. And I looked them right in the face and I told them, stop. Just stop. That's the church of Jesus Christ. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. Just stop. Because I'm not going to listen to you demean the body and the family of Christ. And immediately when I first got here, I took a stand against those that would try to degrade or talk about or mock you. Why? Because we're family. Family sticks up for each other. So he said he was to be faithful. And then to follow up, secured by a common faith, mutual faith is to follow up, 2 Timothy 2.2. He says, as I teach everywhere, 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul challenges Timothy that the things he learned, he was to commit to faithful men who were able to communicate and commit those things to others also. So the process never stops. So I got saved. What did I do? I started telling people about how to be saved. They got saved. I disciple them and tell them what? You need to go tell somebody else. So they go tell somebody else. And it, it just keeps going. Either, either we are leading somebody to Christ or we're discipling them in Christ and then they start leading people to Christ. It's a never-ending cycle. 
We tell people about Christ, they get saved, we grow them in faith, we disciple them, they, they, they share their faith with someone else, they lead that person to the Lord, and it just keeps going on. It's an ongoing process that we need to do. We need to follow up. Paul says, as I teach everywhere. Billy Graham said this, make sure your commitment to Jesus Christ and uh, seek to follow him every day. Don't be swayed by the false values. And there's all kinds of false values. The world is always trying to present that there's something else that is better for you. I've watched this in our Christian school. We've had kids come through our Christian school from kindergarten to get into high school, and then all of a sudden the parents say, well, I, just want, I need to take my kids out of the Christian school because they need to experience the public school. So I look at them and said, so you're telling me they need to experience homosexuality. They need to experience cussing. They need to experience immoral lifestyles. They need to experience anti-God philosophy and approach to things. That's what you're telling me. Don't try to paint it up and say, well, because the public school has more activities. Well, I can tell you this, the activities they have aren't worthwhile putting your children in because it's anti-God. That's all right. Nobody wants to say amen. I'll say amen. And then we turn around, we wonder why we don't have unity in the church. Well, I'll get off that point. We're secured by a common and mutual faith. The last thing is this, who's serious about divisions and heresies in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And uh, these are the verses prior to doing the Lord's Supper. Notice, first of all, a tarnished testimony in verse 18 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 18. He says, for all, first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. Now, Paul is getting ready to rebuke the Corinthian believers because of their misconduct and corrupting of the Lord's Supper. And he says, you have a tarnished testimony. He said, it's everywhere that there's divisions. Everybody knows there's divisions within the body of Christ in the Corinthian church. Everybody's aware of it. And he said, you know what? I've heard it so much, I'm starting to believe it. Serious. You need to be serious about these divisions that develop in, our, in the church. And serious about these heresies that we allow to creep into the church. Tarnished testimony. A destroyed doctrine. When you have a tarnished testimony then your doctrine gets destroyed. Notice after he says this about the divisions, in verse 90, he says, for there must be also heresies among you. Why would he say that? Because if we're in agreement doctrinally, there are no divisions. But when we allow heresy to come in, now all of a sudden there's all kinds of divisions. He says, for there must be also heresies among you that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. And so destroyed doctrine. And what was the, what's the outcome? A tarnished testimony leads to a destroyed doctrine that corrupts the church. In verse 20, 
says, when ye, therefore come, when ye come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. See, so he's saying you're trying to act like you're spiritual. You're trying to act like you're coming in to have uh, the Lord's table. Uh, that's not why you're coming together. It says, for in eating every one taketh before others his own supper, and one is hungry and another is drunken. What have ye not houses to eat and to drink in, or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say unto you? I, shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. The breakdown and division that was in the Corinthian church was because of the fact their testimony was marred, that led, was, uh, uh, led into destroying their, uh, their doctrine and going after every wind of doctrine as a result of it. Their relationship was broken down in the church, and the church was corrupted. Elizabeth George said this, Harmony is produced in ministry when everyone seeks to be a servant. I like what Vance Havner said. It is one of the ironies of the ministry that the very man who works in God's name is often hardest put to find time for God. The parents of Jesus lost him at church. They were not the last ones to lose him there. And I'm afraid, I am afraid, that far too many times, the church is nothing more than an organization rather than the family, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, and Christ is lost in the church. Our theme for this year is he must increase. And that's Jesus. He must increase. That is more than a theme. That is more than a statement. That is more than a lapel pin. It is more than a slide that goes up there. That is a statement of reality that is necessary for our Ocean County Baptist Church to be one, to be united together. He must increase. Understanding the church, unity. I'll tell you, we oftentimes just forget all about it. I'll tell you, it's a challenge for me as a pastor that, that listen, I have, to, I have to keep my walk with God right. I'm busy. I'm pulled every which way. I always have four or five things I'm doing all the time, all the time, at one time. And it's amazing. I have to go preach for Dr. Miller on, the, on Sunday before our ladies' prayer conference. I have to preach Sunday through Wednesday for Dr. Miller to come home on Thursday and do a prayer conference on Friday and Saturday. I'm not complaining. I'm just telling you. It's very easy with a schedule like that to forget that Christ has to be first. And so we have to deliberately make time to be alone with Christ. Because if Christ is not increasing in our life, then all of a sudden divisions and heresies come in and destroy the church. And so we have to make Christ the priority in our life. Well, I hope that was a blessing for you. And you